You're listening to In The Know, a collection of career development insights and leadership experiences from INSEAD, the business school for the world. Are you curious about what the future of work might look like? You're not alone. Many people are wondering how work will change in years to come. Some believe that we'll see more jobs in fields related to technology and science. Others believe that work will become more flexible with more people working from home or remotely. In this episode, we'll discuss some of the best skills to ensure we are ready for the future of the workplace and the importance of pursuing purpose with MBA 13J alumna, Lisa Barrett. I I think it's a real challenge to find organizations that are authentically aligned to values, but I absolutely think it's possible. One of the things that I think people really consistently underestimate about themselves as their own personal level of power. So I'm very surprised when I speak to people that I know who went to INSEAD, you know, literally the best business school in the world, amazing experience, and they don't feel like they're in a career that that is making a difference in the same way, or they just don't love what they're doing. And I think it's insane. But my observation has been that that's not uncommon for anyone because humans consistently just don't really realize, again, the agency or power that they have as individuals. It's just part of what we do, I think, is we kind of disempower ourselves or have narratives or things that hold us back. Lisa has been working at the forefront of learning and digital innovation for 20 plus years. And in the last 10 years, Lisa has redefined what is possible through education and technology through organizations like Coursera and Multiverse. And while the future of work is always evolving, Lisa shared many great insights into some of the most exciting possibilities you can build for your future. So let's get in the know with Lisa Barrett. I'd like to thank you for your time. It's been a great pleasure to to finally get you here and, and join us uh, in this conversation. Um, you were really kind enough to send uh, our, my colleagues, uh, the Career Development Centre, a lovely email about what the future of work looks like and the many things that you're going through and experiencing, uh, you know, 18 months ago now. I guess let's introduce you to our audience uh, just tell us a bit about who you are, uh, where you're from, and how you got to where you are today. Oh, sure. That's a great question. I'm sure for anyone who's gone to INSEAD, that's never a short answer, sure. but I'll try to be as concise <laughs> as I can. So um, I'm Lisa Barrett, as you know, actually Elizabeth Barrett. And um, I was born in the U.S. in Ohio, lived there till I was 18. And then after college, spent 10 years in San Francisco, so working in education, innovation, and reform. And, and really doing a lot of very non-glamorous things that led to glamorous outcomes in results for kids, systems, and teachers in the U.S. Um, and a lot of the, ba- the basic building blocks, really, of running great organizations and digital transformation, we just didn't call it that at the time. We called it, this stuff doesn't work, and we're going to fix it, <laughs> and we're going to use data and build technology and do people stuff. So it gave me a really strong grounding in the importance of people. I always saw technology as an enabler, but not the solution. Mm-hmm. And um, and data being a really big part of that. And then, and then after going to INSEAD, really my career has been a mix of private sector, pretty much ed tech and, and, and high fast paced VC backed companies like Coursera, like Multiverse, like Avado. Um, a little bit of VC. So I did start a venture capital fund that's very that's running very successfully now. 
and um, and some time in the British government, which might sound like it doesn't fit, but actually I was brought in very much to be the different thinker and more like a startup person and to shake up culture and to be able to do that in a way that worked and integrated with the people who were there, which was a really, really interesting challenge. So the themes really, I think in the last 10 years have been about the future of work and ensuring people have the skills to stay relevant uh, as well as how to use data effectively. Um, and then I'm obsessed with learning. I'm obsessed with, make, with what makes people people and obsessed with not just kind of traditional ideas of skill building, but really what it takes to have a rounded picture of being successful. So we know that you know skills in and of themselves are not enough unless you can communicate well and you can work with other people and you can apply things in context. And also I, I think there's a really important piece here about equity. So kind of my my whole um, career has been motivated by the idea that people should have a, a fair shot in life, should have access to opportunities and your, you know, your life, your outcomes shouldn't be kind of based on accidental birth or circumstances. So I've been able to do really exciting things in in that space and around education and innovation, but with this motivation to, to provide that sort of opportunity. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, reading through your your profile and, and seeing your history, it's, I mean, it's such a great breadth of um, technology and education and stuff. It's, it's so close to obviously what we do here at INSEAD and a really nice story that, you know, you've come from here and, and gone on to do things in, in the space that we exist in too. So like to find out more. I mean, we will delve into some of those pieces and, and topics that you mentioned really hard to probably put your finger on one or two key highlights of your career, but let's try and attempt to do so. What do you really hold dear in your career so far? I think I think a few things. I mean, I think before joining Multiverse, I was I did spend three years in the British government and two of the things that we achieved there, I'm really proud of. So, and I think they speak to the, the, the dual nature of what I've been talking about, which is data and technology, but then also humans. So, One of the things that I did in the British government was I got people to think really differently about how to use data and how to use information. So I tend to think like a product manager. So what can you do with this information? Where the inputs? If you do this here, what happens there? I really think in, you know, user funnels and about people and the system really thought in snapshots. Mm -hmm. So counting things effectively. And what, what, what I did, and, and one thing I'm really good at is kind of bringing people together and getting them to realize that they have a shared problem and then, and then solve that. So I was able to generate um, and, and funnel in quite a large amount of money to, to, for what had traditionally been used for research, but really to, to, to string together data sets that, in, that would make research and decision-making possible in perpetuity. So it's the, it, as far as I'm aware, it's the largest connected data project in Europe, um, where it really connects all of these different data sets to allow for um, really strong decision making. So again, you can say, gosh, if we put mental health resources in here in this part in the system, then what happens with these folks? And and, and what are the outputs? And the, the vision would be that an organization like Treasury, right? So your CFO organization would be able to actually understand the impact of spend. And, and to do something like that at scale, especially in the public sector, where things don't typically do that. They don't move fast. And it's a very different model of thinking was a pretty big win. Mm-hmm. And and being able to set that up in a way where it really wasn't dependent on me, but the resources and the and the and the um, structures were in place to to work. So that's been a big success. And then the second is really different but really connected, which is 
that one of the big things about any organization is culture, people, and relationships. Mm-hmm. And, and I was brought into the Ministry of Justice in the UK, pretty much with a blank sheet of paper asking, how do we change the way we make decisions? And one of the things that became really apparent to me really, really quickly was that the that you cannot just change the data systems. You actually have to have fundamentally different relationships and communication. So if people are afraid of, uh, of, of saying what they don't know, then you're still going to get pretty poor outcomes. Mm-hmm. You know, if people are protecting their area or their information, you're not going to, you're not going to see the results that you want. So I actually ran, um, uh, a, a series of workshops with the senior leaders from the ministry of justice that pretty much broke down a lot of the barriers between people and got people to get really present to their already present condition called, I don't want to look stupid in front of people, Mm -hmm. which is the way most of us operate. So it was pretty phenomenal because we took 60 directors from across the ministry of justice. So these are the most senior people in the justice system that the UK ministry of justice, just to give context, employs about 186,000 people. Mm-hmm. Um, there are you know, 86,000 prisoners. There are tens of millions of interactions with the court system. So it's courts, tribunals, probation, prisons, you know, lawmaking. It's, it's, a, it's a huge, huge uh, organization with yeah. huge impact across the country. And, and to get people to then have this, this, this transformational experience, it really changed everything. It changed the way that leaders interacted with each other, the, the, the stories they had about each other, the, the things that they weren't saying the stories about themselves. And it was pretty phenomenal. In fact, you know, at the end of, of kind of this, this, this time that I created for the directors, we had that, we had Exco come and have dinner with us. And they literally said to me, like, what did you do? Because it, the dynamic was, just, it was just a totally different dynamic. Mm-hmm. And that type of thing I think really matters. So you can do all of the, all of the system stuff, but if you don't do the people stuff, then you, you can't have that impact. Sure. And really nice to, to sort of see the results, as, as you said, later on down the track. So fantastic, lovely work. Um, well, now we, we touched earlier upon this this letter you wrote to or the email you wrote to, to my colleague. So we're going to keep coming back to that. You sort of mentioned and, and you've touched upon already that collaboration matters, you know, that the interaction is necessary and the opportunity for meaningful self-discovery are experiences that none of us should trade it was all about, you know, what is important to us and, you know, what should we should look to do and continue to do in our, in our careers and professional careers in particular. Can you describe the role education plays in our modern careers and the importance of continuing to learn and, and develop, as you said, you're passionate about? Yeah, it's really interesting because there's been a lot of talk about the Great Resignation yeah, sure. and this idea that, you know, that the, the close to half or something like that of the of the U.S. workforce is going to find different jobs. So you'll find different numbers, but that you know these are the type of numbers where people are talking mm. about. So that's a lot of people finding different jobs and transitioning. And when you dig into what would keep people in roles and what makes people stay, one of the big things they say is the opportunity to learn and develop. And and I think that's pretty interesting. I also think that we think about when we say the word education, our minds just naturally go to the things that happen before you're 22 or up until you're 22. And after that is the rest of your life. You know, what we see in lots of ways is that people end up, you know, 22 plus years old without the skills that they want. The markets change, conditions change, 
and and what are your options? Well, traditional options are you leave the workforce and you go get a, a degree. That's okay for some people, especially people who have resources, but it doesn't work for a lot of people and it doesn't solve the whole problem. And, and, and frankly, with the rate of change, I mean, what are you supposed to do kind of every three years, take a year out and get reskilled? It doesn't work. So it, it, so it's really interesting. I, I believe that employers have a are now becoming responsible for the training and retraining and, 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 and education of their workforce. And I think that's that is really important. Um, and it doesn't mean that they need to become experts in the training themselves, but they need to take ownership for it. So I'm sure we'll come on to this, but the work that we do at Multiverse is exactly that, which is we are running what we call professional apprenticeships for people in companies, whether they're coming into the company, they're all already in the company, where the companies are looking at their workforce and saying, if we do not have these skills, then we will we will fundamentally not be able to perform what we want to perform. There's We were talking to an FMCG company in the US this week, I won't say which one, but just by not being able to hire certain skills, they 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 lost eight hundred million in revenue because they because they couldn't hire the skills that they needed to perform the efficiencies and make changes that they needed and fix their supply chain. I mean, eight hundred million is nothing to sneeze at. No, exactly. And and so we've got these we've got these skill gaps, and and companies need to be alive to those. And so, for example, what we do at Multiverse, which I think is really important, is we work with companies to understand what those are, and then we train their people on that in a in a contextual manner. So again, you asked me, what's the role of companies? I, okay, I'm a, I'm a shareholder in Coursera. I was a director at Coursera. I love that sort of learning, but I don't think it gives, it, 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 it's a very small part of the solution. Sure. And, and there's a lot more that needs to happen. I, I, I think that stuff is actually very important. When I, you know, when, when I worked with data scientists, many of them learned Python from Coursera. So I'm, there was a, there was a big role for that, sure. but there was also a very, very big role for making sure that people can apply learning in context and that, and that it's, 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 you know, it's more, it's more contextualized, it's richer, it's, 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 it's actually, you know, more nuanced. Um, and, and for a lot of, a lot of skill gaps that's needed. And then also I would say, you know, in this content, in this world where we're, thank goodness, talking about not leaving people behind and people from diverse backgrounds, Mm. the people who are most likely to fall through the gaps are not going to, typically succeed in entirely independent learning. The biggest thing that we hear from our coaches at Multiverse, or sorry, from our apprentices at Multiverse when they complete is, I would not have done this without my coach because either I would have become overwhelmed, I didn't actually believe I could do it or some other reason, and the coach is the one that got them through. So I strongly believe in a model where that's technology enabled, but where there is a human that is applying that work in context and 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 guiding people through. And what we found is that's that's great return on investment for companies mm-hmm. because you're 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 literally making your people more productive. You're getting what you need, and you are able to again take advantage of those kinds of opportunities. And like with that FMCG company we were talking about, to actually you know realize the revenue or reduce the cost in the way that you want. One of the, the parts of the email that really stood out to me was um, uh, the heading was pursuing purpose. Um, so, I mean, part of your your email said, amidst all of the uncertainty, uh, which obviously we've all gone through the last few years, but uh, 
now is a good time to do something that matters, he mentioned. So being up to something creates stability, purpose is an anchor, especially when nothing makes sense. And uncertainty, obviously, I think we've all redefined what uncertainty means over the last few years to each one of us. We often hear about the value of choosing an employer that sort of shares the same values as we do as an individual. Have you got any advice that, you know, we can use or our listeners can use to sort of align ourselves to the values and the vision that our companies or the people that we might be considering for employment have as well? It's a really good question. And and, and actually, let me pick up on what you were saying, because, yeah, I wrote that email. Um, I wrote those words around the start of the pandemic mm. when it was such a difficult time, you know, shortly after that Black Lives Matter happened. Mm. I also, I think, mentioned that that I graduated from college, university, as we'd say in the UK, the year of 9-11. Yeah. So I went, when I did Teach for America, that was in lots of ways, I probably would have done it anyway, but it was a direct response to wanting to do something that actually mattered. And it's really interesting because now with what's happening in the Ukraine, yeah, it, there, there's just another version of this. So it's been very interesting, you know, recruiting people into multiverse and and, and having these conversations with them of it's, it, it, it's very comforting and important, I think, to wake up every day saying that what I'm doing today is making a difference and building a better future for tomorrow. Now, it may not be direct, directly related to the thing out there. We, you, you know, we, we can't kind of run from problem to problem. We need to, to focus as individuals. But there's a, there's a very different context for your life when you wake up and you don't doubt why you're doing what you're doing. And I've been in situations where I haven't felt that way. And I, and I've, and I just haven't felt really sure that what I'm doing every day is making the difference that I could make with people. And I think when you're in that, you don't even realize that you're missing it per se, but you have this unconscious feeling that is there and that persists that just, you just don't feel quite settled in the same way. And purpose really does anchor you and 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 gives you this, this kind of confidence and this calm regardless. And I would say that, and back to your question about values, I'd say it's very aligned. So I, I find values to be deeply, again, deeply calming and anchoring. I, I think it's a real challenge to find organizations that are authentically aligned yes, to values, sure. but I absolutely think it's possible. One of the things that I think people really consistently underestimate about themselves as their own personal level of power. So I'm very surprised when I speak to people that I know who went to INSEAD, you know, literally the best business school in the world, amazing experience, and they don't feel like they're in a career that that is making a difference in the same way, or they just don't love what they're doing. And I think it's insane. But my observation has been that that's not uncommon for anyone because humans consistently just don't really realize, again, the agency or power that they have as individuals. It's just part of what we do, I think, is we kind of disempower ourselves or have narratives or things that hold us back. Um, I think I, I think that the the I think that it's really worth thinking about how it feels every day to work in a company and how the values are portrayed. You know, is it what does that look like in practice? And the best way to know that is to interact with people from that company and to hear their experiences and to hear where the rubber hits the road. When I was talking to Multiverse two years ago, that's what started to really click for me and get me to think, hmm, maybe this is actually something that that, that I really should pay attention to. Because it was a tiny company at the time. You know, I, I still had a lot of work to do in the organization that I was a part of. 
Um, but I really saw the lack of drama and the lack of uh, emotional energy being spent on, on, on friction because people were so focused on just solving the problem. So there wasn't a culture of blame. There wasn't a culture of um, uh, dwelling on things or, or, uh, or, or, or going into all the things that humans do. There was really, okay, well, how do we just get this fixed? And because everyone was aligned around the principle of socioeconomic mobility, everyone had a deep commitment to that. It just simplified things. So I, I remember writing on a post-it note years ago, I think it was right after I worked at Coursera, values simplify and streamline. And what I meant by that, which I still believe is when everyone shares the same values, it just cuts out a lot. You just, there's a lot of conversations you just won't have. There's a lot of decisions you won't even consider. So for us, for example, I run our global product set uh, for Multiverse. I just don't even have to worry about lots of things. because so I'm like, well, that just doesn't align with the values that we have or kind of our ethos as a company, what we're trying to do, like just, just cuts out all that stuff or, um, you know, or, or conversations that you wouldn't have with people that weren't aligned to your values. So, I mean, my advice to people would be to, to speak to people within companies and get a sense of how it feels to work there every day. And, and cause values are literally just, you know, how people behave and practice and what's acceptable and what people talk about. I think it's really important to look for the, the values of leadership as well. I, I you know, you, you can't get away from that. It starts at the top and that the way that people behave is, you know, is, is really important. Um, you know, I, I think multiverse has a, a very special CEO, someone who is, is, uh, you know, consistently talks about how we don't make trade-offs, but we don't make false trade-offs. So there's, there's this idea of you can be nice or smart. Well, we think you should be both. And we only hire people who are both this idea of, you know, profit and purpose is a classic one, but there's loads of things like that. Being able to be excellent or scale. We, what we've, we've, we've five X, the number of apprentices we had two years ago, our valuation has gone from 60 to 875 million. Mm. And at the same time, all of our results have gone up. Our completion rates are between 85 and 90%. That's unheard of in university and corporate training. Our pass rate is 99 to 100%. Oh, and by the way, we have more than 50% of the apprentices we place are women. A third are from disadvantaged backgrounds, right? So these things are possible. And a lot of that, again, comes from the conversation we create at the top around the, the values that we have. Yeah, I like the so, well, many of the messages you had through there, but I mean, one of the things that really stood out, and, and you mentioned trying to uncover or discover what vision and values from companies is authentic, because we all see, you know, the, the writing on the websites about they do this or that, and you're like, well, yeah, but how real is that? You mentioned, I think, within there that talking to the people within the companies is a great way to sort of understand and appreciate is, is there any advice you have, like how to reach out to people? You know, it's all right if you're already in the organization, you can you can uncover that yourself. But if you're looking or considering a position at a company XYZ um, and you're wondering what are they like really inside, is it something like LinkedIn that you can touch base or, you know, what are the best ways you find of connecting with companies you don't know? I think, I think people don't realize how willing – people are to talk about themselves and their career sure. if they're approached in the right way and authentically. So, so I, I mean, I moved to London. I had no network here. I had no family here. Um, I didn't, I, I didn't even, I didn't know anything. I did, I, you know, I didn't even realize the language was so different from America. From America. <laughs> I really just kind of walked in full of optimism and pretty naive in a way. And I sent a lot of LinkedIn notes to NCAD alumni and pretty much all of them wrote back. And the reason is, is because I think I was totally authentic. 
you know, I looked up who I wanted to speak to and I just said, I'd really love to hear more about your career. I'm really interested in what you've been doing. Would, what could I, could I buy you a coffee and just ask you some questions? And I think all of them said yes, but it doesn't have to be just from, you know, just from INSEAD. You know, I, I think I get a lot of reach outs. I would say less than 1% of them are high quality. Most of them are really generic. They are, um, they haven't done their homework on me. They haven't done their homework on the company. And it feels like they're just reaching out to lots of people. If someone was to reach out to me and with, with a really authentic ask and, and tell me about themselves and why, of course I would take the time to talk to them. I just say no 99% of the time because I don't think people have put in the effort or, or really considered what they're doing. They're just, you know, kind of spamming. So I think, I think people, I think, I think the key is to, to do your homework, to be authentic and to approach someone in a way that, that really creates relationship with them. And of course it uses their time well, but I, but I just, I mean, I see that consistently. Like I see C-level people in companies accept in, accept conversations. I see you know, people you think are very busy just because of the way that someone has reached out to. So I think, I think, I think that's the right way to do it. And you just, you know, you just start, you just start with a few people and you, 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 and then you build from there. And then whenever you talk to someone, if there's someone that you're really interested in, you either say, this is so great. I'd love to do it again sometime. And then you, you know, do that after a reasonable period of time, or you say, is there anyone else you think I should talk mm. to? And you get intros. And I think that's, um, that's the way to do it. A woman who's moving to London just reached out to me. Uh, again, someone I don't know at all, but, but she's got a fantastic background and, and, and part of it was just, she was just really authentic saying, look, I'm moving to London for personal reasons. The Bay area is so much more like economically sensible, but I've got family in Europe. I know that you made that move, you know, could we just have a chat? And again, she, you know, she had a fantastic background, really strong tech sector, um, you know, really great approach, but, but just her authenticity. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. As a human, I know how difficult it is to just start over again. Um, and especially uh, the, you know, the, the, the cultural context here. So I, I think, I think that's what I'd say. And I, I would encourage people to, yeah, to go for it, but be thoughtful about it. Yeah, for sure. Just taking that time to, to understand and learn a bit about the person before you reach out. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Thank you for sharing. I guess that comes into the next points, uh, you know, we're talking about people and I mean, part of uh, coming back to your email again, I mean, you sent uh, day-to-day reality. Um, the, the way we are wired as humans means that we are completely dependent on each other if we want to be fully alive. And I thought that was a really nice message. We are d- designed to grow together, you said, and that to live together, to create together, to learn together, everything together, basically. We don't really know who we are uh, in the absence of understanding how we are reflected by other people. And I thought that's a really, 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 really strong message. I think the last, as we said, the last couple of years have been a great opportunity for everyone to reflect. And I think most people have. It's that importance in life. What really matters to us as individuals and our families? What are some of the basic skills or behaviors that we can practice to ensure that we continue to grow even after the pandemic has sort of moved on or we go to this new normal, as people call it? It's a good question. I, I mean, I, I, what my observation and experience has been that the pandemic created a level of focus and a quiet space mm. that is much more difficult to achieve without that. There was just a lot of noise 
And the pandemic quieted all that down and, and you saw people make different choices, right? They moved to different places. They changed their work schedule. They realized their priorities. Um, you know, one of the women that we hired as a product manager, she quit her job at Accenture and reached out and said, look, I, I've spent the last six months researching what I really want to do. And what I want to do is work on the future of work. And this is, you know, this is the company I want to work for. And, and, and she was, you know, she just, she just really clear about it. And I don't think she, maybe she would have done that without the pandemic and that, and that forced reflection. Uh, it's funny too, when I did in Seattle, I remember people saying at the beginning, the biggest challenge is not having time to reflect. And I was like, ah, it's fine. Like, I don't know what they're talking about and I'm good at reflecting. And it would, but that's, but it's true because if you don't have that space to, to, to really be quiet and pause, I don't think you can see clearly. And, and I, and I have found that I have had to kind of go back and redo how I do my time and my schedule because when I went back to quote unquote normal, I would, it didn't work. Because if you add in commuting time and changing meeting rooms and just all the little things of normal life, suddenly like, like you're just back to a, like a level of chaos and noise where you can't think straight. So I think, I think having that's really important. I think the other impact of that is being fully present. Um, I notice a really different quality of listening on calls. I would say the majority of the calls I'm on people are entirely present. They're not multitasking. They're not typing notes to each other in the chat. They're not also checking emails. And then I'm on a few calls where I notice that. And it's very interesting to notice how different the conversation is. And I would, I would suggest that when you spend a lot of time like that, you're actually really disconnected from people and, and you're actually not using your time well at all, but also you end up a lot less happy. So I think there's, I think there's a, there's a key thing about that. I really believe that thing that you said that I had said, which is, and because I've, I've, and it's come up again and again and again, especially recently, this idea that we don't know who we are unless we're reflected to other people. So I, I did a, I did a, a focus group, not a focus group. It was really a kind of a, it was like a leadership group, uh, session with our leaders in our uh, apprentice community. So we have about six thousand multiverse apprentices. I did the session with them yesterday, and the main thing they wanted to talk about was imposter syndrome. And, and it was so helpful for me to, it's always helpful for me to articulate that, you know, I've got 20 years more experience than these people that, that were on the call. And yet, same set of traits and humanness that they have. And one woman said, she said, what do I do about the fact that people always tell me that I'm doing a great job, but I, but it, but it doesn't feel that way Don't believe it. to me. Yeah. And I, Exactly. And I just, and I just, it was exactly this point where I was just saying to her, well, you're going to have to start believing it, right? Because clearly your perception of yourself is, is not what people mm -hmm. see. And there's something about, you know, really being able to get reflected back from others, how you're doing. I think, I think we don't know. And, and, and I, and I think it's important to create those spaces. I, I would love to see organizations create more of those type of feedback and reflective spaces as well, because, what I've seen is, especially for people later in their career, one of the big difference makers between someone being really great or okay or even not okay is actually getting feedback. And I don't mean the like, oh, here's my like written feedback that I give you every six months and it's probably kind of standard and I'm probably not saying the real thing because you're like, I'm talking about real feedback where you say to someone, you're actually an exceptional, powerful leader, but the fact that you do everything last minute has a real impact on the teams or 
you, you, or you may not realize this, but you're super intimidating. And so sometimes when you say something, people don't agree with you, but they're not going to talk because you haven't created that space. And it's those kinds of, it's normalizing that because as humans, again, like I just find humans so interesting. We get used to whatever we get used to. And most people don't get regular feedback. So when you get it, it's upsetting, it's jarring, you get defensive and you don't really want to deal with it. Like that's the reality of being a human. But if you get used to it and it's, and, and it's, and it's done in a way of, Hey, here's what I see what's possible for you. Then it, then it becomes normal. And I saw this in government too. I like, like, like I was really different from a lot of the people that, that were in government, but I found that really, again, 99% of people that I work with, as soon as they, we, we created a space to have those conversations, they really stepped into it. Now, 1% didn't, but that's, you know, that's fine. That's fine. And, and maybe they will over time. But I think, um, I think, yeah, there, there's, there's definitely something weird about the way that we're trained in school, which is all being individualistic. You know, you do assignments on your own, your performance is on your own. It's about your own success. And then you get into life and it doesn't work that way in family and community and job. Like it just doesn't. And, um, and like at multiverse, I always tell people there's nothing you're going to do on your own. That's going to be anything very interesting. So there's not one thing you can do in this company. We're the third fastest growing company in Europe. You know, we've got the best backers in the world. Like this is a serious company. Um, you know, people like Mary Meeker on our board, you know, this is, this is, this is a serious company and, and the, but there's literally nothing you can do by yourself if you want to do anything important at all. So it's that, that, that thing about relationships, I guess I just keep coming back to that. Um, and, 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 and hopefully, hopefully always will, because I also think it's not like you're done, like, 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 like relationships, leadership, these topics, it's not like a piece of toast where, okay, I'm, fin- you know, that it's finished. It's, it's like forever, forever. You're never going to be there. And, 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 and I guess that's what I'm coming back to as a leader too, is like, how do I just keep being a beginner and just keep coming back to like, okay, what, what's next? Or like, what do I not know? And that keeps me in the right place. I like it. You mentioned, you know, that, that sort of culture of feedback and receiving feedback and, and you're right. Most places we go, Either people don't want the feedback or, or it's not in set up to get that regular feedback. Is, is there any ways, or maybe it's another topic, but is there any suggestions you've got for us out there that, that um, you know, we can set that up in our own companies or in our own lives where we can get that regular feedback and that free and, you know, safe space to receive that? I w- for, for me, there's a, co- yes, yes. There are a couple key things. Like one is it is regular rather than, um, you know, every three yeah. months or every six months, right? So so creating space to very regularly give that feedback. Um, the second is having space to give feedback about anything and everything mm-hmm. so that so that you could just say, oh, I noticed this thing or this thing happened. Um, and I and I think I think the third is as leaders really inviting it. So I did something when I joined Multiverse, which is I just sent out a after a couple of months, like sent out a survey to everyone and was like, just tell me if there's anything you want me to know. I think people were really surprised by that but it really helped me get a gauge of what I didn't know. I didn't know. Um, and I think, so I, so I think, I think, I think those are the key things. I, th- I think, I think companies and teams really need a regular system to be able to uh, be asking what's going on and getting both kind of, uh, and just, just getting anything and everything um, and, 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 and having that dialogue. I, I mean, I think the other thing that's interesting that I'm really committed to is I only know one organization that I'm involved with where there's literally a policy called we don't gossip 
And it's really challenging because basically the policy of the organization is if you if you need to resolve something, speak directly to the person that you need to resolve it with. And if you if you try and then if it doesn't work, try again. If you can't get it resolved, you know, go to the next go, escalate it. If you can't get it resolved there, escalate it. And it's it's as an order as an individual, it's much more comfortable to um to complain like i don't know if you've seen the movie bridesmaids but mm. there's a really funny scene where she basically is why can't you just talk about me behind my back like everyone else you know like <laughs> and 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 that's kind of the that's kind of what we do but 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 if you do that what happens is you don't have again like all this chatter or undelivered feedback or conversation or oh, this person's like this like you have to deal with things and 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 again i only literally know one organization that i'm aware of that actually does that but it's the most powerful organization i can think of where again, the space between people is, is super, super powerful. And I would love to see more companies take that on knowing that there will be mistakes and it won't be perfect per se, but it, but it's, but I think that we've just accepted, oh, it's just normal to, you know, to, to complain about yeah. people or things, things or to, yeah. yeah. And, and it feeds your ego because it feels good to go to the pub and have a moan about whatever. And then guess what? Absolutely nothing has changed in reality. Like nothing, nothing has changed. And yet somehow you, you've convinced yourself that you've done something effective. So it's, it's you know, it's back to the ego yeah, stuff. Yeah, for sure. The individual feels better the, for five minutes, but the, the problem hasn't been resolved exactly. Mm. Yeah, in fact, you probably made yeah. it worse. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, when you think the word knowledgeable, who's the first person that comes to mind? Knowledge, for me, it's Einstein. And without sounding cliche, I think Einstein is one of the most incredible people because if you really dig into the way that he thought and his knowledge, a lot of it was about throwing away the previous knowledge so he could think fresh. So he obviously was knowledgeable, came up with, you know, unbelievable, unbelievably profound and important concepts and did and did great work. But he really part of how we did that is like not being too tied to what was there before. And then also very interestingly, you know, Einstein had a very strong spiritual side. So he, you know, one of one of my favorite quotes by him is something along the lines of one of the, the greatest illusions of people is that we're all separate when actually, you know, you know, we're connected. So I think, you know, knowledge, knowledge for the sake of knowledge is very, you know, not sure it's very useful. But 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 again, when it's when it's, you know, in a in a context of of service and of people um, and again, you're willing to, to kind of not just know, but unlearn things. I think that's really powerful. How do our listeners go about selecting the best educational choice when there's so yeah. many different modalities and organizations and stuff that they can choose from? Yeah, one of the one of the best TED Talks ever given was by Sir Ken Robinson about education. And if you haven't seen it, it is so, so mm. worth watching. It's just, it's hilarious. It's smart. It's poignant. It talks about all the problems with education. But um, one of the things he talks about in his in in his book, The Element, which 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 kind of expands on that and is and is deeper, is that there are different pieces that matter in terms of the way that we way that we learn or what we do. So, for example, it's not just what we do or what we're learning, but also who we're learning it with and how. So, so if you think about um, uh, you know career or learning, those those things matter. Uh, I, I, I've definitely had experiences where I thought, gosh, I don't think I really like education technology, but it turned out it was with the wrong group of people or doing the wrong stuff. So, so I think those three things, so, so with education, like what, what do you want to learn and why, like, how does that, how is that going to impact you? What, how, like, who do you want to learn with and from? And, and then, and then how do you, and then how do you want to do that? And I think those three things um, are what matter. I can't, I can't, I guess I would rather give people a way to think about it in a framework rather than answering 
the, the specific question, but that's how I would think about it. Thank you for listening to this episode of In The Know. If you want to find out any additional information on the career and leadership topics discussed today, head to inthenow.insead.edu forward slash podcast. If you want to know more about any of INSEAD's master programs, head to insead.edu.